Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Headcrack After Hours is a living legend, a pioneer in the game, and a dude who continues to teach the youth. And I mean this literally, through his music and literally he teaches. One time <laughs> for the homie Bun B. Thank you, Crack. Yo, man, we are back at it again. I know, man. I'm, I'm excited about this one. Just when I always would be like, you know what? He's outgrown us. He's taught us all he could teach us. Nah. You loop back again. Return <laughs> of the Trill is the name of the yes. new album. Yeah, new album be in stores August 31st. Uh, executive produced by my wife, actually, and Big Crit. Um, it was kind of her idea for me to come back out because, you know, after Pim passed away, it was just kind of phoning it in. It wasn't really fun or exciting to me anymore. And she was like, you need to do music again, so you got to find somebody that you can have a good time in the studio with. Because Pim and I used to have a lot of fun in the studio. Mm -hmm. And um, so she recommended Crit because she knows Crit and I have a good relationship musically and personally. And uh, it ended up being a really good fit. You know, he, he not only produced a uh, big bulk of the album, but also was like, yo, we need to bring in some other guys that help me, you know, fine tune the project and make it what it is today. Yo, from the very first time I heard Crit rap, I was like, damn it, it would be so great to have heard him with you, Pimp, and himself. Absolutely. Or even with just him and Pimp working on production together. It, it would have been nice. Board hogs, it, man. It would have been nice to see them, um, their ideas bounce off each other because there's a lot of things they got in common, but then there's different approaches, right? So Pimp would start with the drums. Pimp would always start his productions with the drums. And Crit tends to start with like a guitar or a bass line or something like that. So it would have been interesting to see how they would have personally built the sound together. You know, they got a lot of things in in, uh, in common, but they're also very distinct individuals musically and ver and verbally too. Now, it was interesting to hear you say that you felt like you phoned a few albums in after the passing of Pimp C. Right. And a lot of people would never admit that. Like, you know, they go in there, chin up, it's my best work. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, what was it about making the projects where you felt like you had to do it if your heart wasn't in well, it? Well, it was typically, the, I'd say probably the last album, the Trilogy album, because for one, it was my way of completing my deal with Rap Light and J Prince, so it's like I had to do the album. And once I didn't have to do an album anymore, I didn't feel the need to want to do one. You know what gotcha. I'm saying? So I had to get into a space where I actually wanted to create an album as opposed to being signed to later. Because I'm not really signed to anybody right now. This is all independent. So, you know, we did the whole recording process out of pocket, you know, flying to Atlanta, flying to different places, working with people. And it felt fun again. It felt fresh again. You know what I'm saying? Um... Lyrically, I would always be a better artist when I was rapping uh, with Pimp, like going back and forth. Pimp would always bring out the best in me. He had, um, you know, a lot of faith in me, a lot of confidence in my ability, and that would always be his words of encouragement that would bring forth my best effort. And uh, so now I just had to find different levels of inspiration. My wife was a real big part of that. So, like, what does your wife say to you to make you feel like, hey, man, get back out there? Basically that, but with words I probably can't say on the radio. You oh, know no, we, we, the bleep game is strong. Yeah, over yeah. Now, to get your ass up and go in there and do some damn rapping, pretty much. You oh, know? that was light. I expected. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's 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 tame. I ain't even bleeping that. Right. But it is what it is, and like every time I hear you rhyme, though, I never ever once felt like you sounded like you was phoning it in. Well, that's the thing, you know. As far as like my ability uh, in writing songs, I've been very blessed to. You know, even on a bad day, I'm better than most people on their best day. You know what I'm saying? And that's a blessing and a skill that we don't take for granted. But at the same time, I know and like she knows when I'm putting my best effort mm -hmm. forward. It's very easy to tell for people that are close to me. You know what I'm saying? So I wanted to put myself back in a position to if I'm going to do it, then I need to be able to give the people the best that I got. 
You know what I'm saying? And so that's what we wanted to create, an environment that would allow me to give it everything I got. And I think we created that. Now, have you and the missus, has she always been your quality control? Like far oh, as like- I, absolutely. She's the person that's that's there the whole time that knows you know, instinctively if I'm into it, if I'm not into it, if I'm giving it everything, if I'm not giving it everything. And so she wouldn't let me pull back on any of these. You know what I'm saying? I had to go harder every time. She was like, nah, you could do that one harder. You can go better. Go back in and try it one more time. And she would try to tell Crit, like, Crit, you know, if there anything you think this record needs, and he'd be like, well, I wish he would do that, if he could do that second verse over for me. Go in there and tell him. And Crit would be like, nah, Crit didn't really feel like he had, um, he was in a position to cross that he felt like he was crossing boundaries with that and my wife was the one was like no nah, you tell him what you need you got to tell him exactly what you want so once he felt confident enough to come in there and be like b give me a little bit something extra on this let's redo that hook let's redo those last lines or whatever we ended up coming out with the best possible project possible wow now was she involved in music prior to y'all getting married or she's always just been no my, my wife has always been a part of everything i bring it to the meetings i bring it to the studio i bring it to the show so anybody that comes out knows they see my wife with me and she understands everything right now and, and she, so she has an outsider's view as a person that just listens to music and enjoys music but then she also has an insider's view because she understands my creative process gotcha. so having those levels of insight made it basically the best of both worlds for me to get what i needed to get done to give these people the best project possible Yo, and you belong to a, a small elite collective of people who I refer to as Swiss Army Knife Rap. <laughs> no matter who you want to track with, whether they be from the East Coast, West Coast, even some backpack like artists that people would never expect you to rhyme with, right. you always show up and do way better than I think most people would even expect you to do, like being what some would consider out of the element. Right. You know what I mean? I was trying to remember, like, yeah, but was it a record you did with Black Milk? It was- yeah, yeah. I just saw Milk in New Orleans a, a couple of weeks ago. Okay, too. so you, you was doing a Black Milk? Season, yeah, yeah. And you spazzed. And like, and I, and I always knew, because I've, I've been listening to you for years. Right. I remember when I was still living in New York and somebody first played me Tell Me Something Good. Back, I think, because you guys didn't know, you were on Rap a lot at the time. No, no. We and weren't. I think this was even before you guys were on Jive, because that was like one of your demo that records. Was, that was, yeah, that was the indie record. Yeah, I legit felt like somebody played me the indie record and I never heard nobody rhyming like y'all. On the radio, y'all wrote the sample. It was like nothing I ever heard before. And it was right. something about the distinctiveness of your voice. And just the contrast that it had against pimps, it super stood out. So I was always just checking for whatever it was y'all did. And Thanks, then when I moved to Texas, y'all had the game and the show. <laughs> like, it was like y'all didn't even have to leave the state, really. No, we did good. I mean, we, we had a lot of support locally. And eventually, um, we made music that people outside of Texas and Louisiana could really get into. But as far as music, we were always incredible fans of music. Pimp was very deep into like older jazz records and stuff like that. So that's how you hear is rapping over like West Montgomery records and stuff like that. And I was always just a lyrical fan. Like I enjoy people with lyrics. And so in the earliest days of hip hop, of course, the most lyrical people came out of the East Coast. Then you had Cube from the West Coast. And then, um, so I wanted to be that guy from the South that when people talked about lyrics, they would have to talk about me. So my whole career was based around being a very good rapper. And then Pimp used to brag on me all the time, so I would always have to kick it up a notch every time he would open his mouth and be like, yeah, Bum B, the coldest rapper ever. I'm like, great, now I got to write a rhyme that lives up to that. But that's how we come up with songs like Murder, you know, being inspired by, you know, one of my greatest sources of inspiration, my brother Pimp. No doubt. 
Now let's let's go back to the origin of it. Like you know, you always hear about like the start of hip hop in New York. Mm. Like when you talk about Houston and even more specifically Port Arthur, right? Where you guys are from? How were you guys getting access to the the music and the culture in like eighty one, eighty four, eighty five? Okay, so there used to be a radio show at T Texas Southern University called Kids Jam. Um, and that used to be our main source of hip hop back in the day. It was actually, um, I don't know if you remember King T. Yeah. Yeah, from the West yeah. Coast. He was actually part of that radio group from back in the day. So we would get a lot of our early hip hop from that show, from uh, college radio. And then um, radio stations like 102, which is an R&B station now, but it used to be a everything station. They started playing hip hop Saturday nights, you know, after 10 o'clock, yeah. that kind of thing. So we just tried to be receivers of, of everywhere and everything that was going on as, as a culture was in its early stages. We were tr out there trying to get every bit of it, you know, because there weren't a lot of people making music from where we were from. You know what I'm saying? Scarface and the Ghetto Boys and people like K. Reno and Dopey were the first people to actually make rap records from Houston area, you know what I'm saying? So once they started doing it and doing it at a high level, it gave us the confidence to be like, you know what? We can we could probably execute it at that level too. So, you know, and there was no scene in Port Arthur. It was just us making music. Actually, one of the first people making music in Port Arthur was Mr. Boomtown, who's now a very popular director, director yeah. movie director, and, and video director. He actually did the video, directed the video for me and um, T.I. and Critton, our new single, Recognized. But they were some of the first people actually making records and showing that you could be from this very small town and make a hip-hop record. We'd had people before from from Port Arthur that made music. Janis Joplin is from Port Arthur. So it wasn't like it was impossible but we knew that we couldn't just sit in that small town and do it. We had to kind of go out into the world and make our bones. So that's when we started going to like Houston, the Lake Charles, Lafayette, Dallas, you know, a lot of the smaller markets that jumped on it real quick because we talked about things that everybody from those areas could relate to. And as our worldview got wider, we realized just like the ghetto boy said, the world is a ghetto. So just talk about what you know from your experience and you'll be surprised how many people can relate to it as long as it's coming from a real place. And that ended up being the line that we walked through the culture. Yo, I feel like, you know, like that early 80s era of Texas hip hop, right. but particularly Houston, is such a savagely under-celebrated portion of like the overall hip hop culture because right. being that... Texas, I guess, didn't particularly, you know, some people would say Texas didn't really start having a sound to like the mid-early 90s, but I would hear records that come out that production-wise sounded like it was New York influenced. Absolutely. Now, and that was the thing, right? A lot of the early music that everybody made, to be honest, had a New York type element to it because that's what we felt you had to do to make a rap record. You had to make beats that were similar to what New York people were doing and you had to somewhat rhyme the way New York people were doing. So if you listen to people like Def Four or OG Styles, some of the earlier artists on Rap A Lot Records, you'll hear that East Coast influence and wanting to be on par with New York. But it really came around, like I said, with the Ghetto Boys and with Jay Prince was like, look, we just gonna make Southern rap, you know what I'm saying, for us, by us and see where it goes. And it ended up being something that everybody could relate to. Yeah. And so watching them do that and knowing that you didn't have to lose your Southern intellect, your Southern distinction, your Southern drawl, or any of the, those things that made you distinctly Southern in order for people from other places to understand it and receive it and fall in love with it, we just like took the baton and started running. So what point in your life did you meet Pimp C and decide, hey, this is my friend and we gonna rap together? Well, when I met him, we actually weren't friends in the early time. We we both had a mutual friend, um, Big Mitch, 
And um, I thought I thought about him a certain way because I didn't really know him. He thought about me a certain way because he didn't really know me. So when we finally got together and talked, we kind of clashed initially. But then we realized, he realized I wasn't who he thought I was. I realized he wasn't who I thought he was. And we ended up becoming like instant, like, yo, we want to both make music that's larger than this town, larger than everything that anybody's ever done. And once he and I got on that common ground, then that was it. We matched from there, you know. Was so he we, always as outspoken? Oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. You got to understand, this is somebody that named himself Pimp C in high school. You know what I'm saying? So he, he was originally MCC, and then there was something that happened I don't want to talk about it on the radio, but he went from being known as MCC to, to he changed his name to Pimp C. So intrigued. So, you know, that's at 17 years old. That's a very, very strong move for a 17-year-old in the early days of rap, you know what I'm saying? Um but that was a, something that he he felt he earned that title and he wanted to be known as that. And that's why he wanted to present himself to the world. And, you know, the world accepted it. Yeah. Head over heels. It always seemed like those yin and yang relationships always work better than when you got two people that are kind of similar minded. You well, know? well, yeah, like Pimp and I, we didn't dress alike. We didn't talk alike. We had, you know, we were very good friends. But then he had homies that he had that I didn't run with. I had homies I had that he didn't run with. We didn't like the same kind of women, same kind of cars, uh, anything. So because of the fact that we were yin and yang, we never stepped on each other's toes. You know what I'm saying? I always knew where he was. He always knew where I was. No matter what the situation, I already knew what his reaction would be. He knew what my reaction would be. Even in writing songs, if we had a song about women, he would talk about it one way. I would talk about it another way. So we never had to, like, what did you say on this song? What did you, what you got for this round? We kind of already knew our places in the world and our music fully encapsulated our world. So we never had any crossover. Yo, I remember like one of the first times I met you personally, you was in a studio with my man Coco Butter. Yeah. He used to be at K104. That's the OG. Just like, you know, I was just quiet. I was just sitting in the corner. I think I was sitting on the floor or whatever and just like, I don't know, just minding my business. But just hearing you, because like he was in a booth for like a minute. And then when you finally came out, I never realized how much of a dope, dark sense of humor that you had. Like, yeah. yo, like, I, like when I was telling my friends, because I was still in high school at the time, so I was telling my friends, like, yo, Bun B low-key could be a comedian. He got, like, this really just dark, dry sense of humor, man. <laughs> like, and, and then to just, like, just to see you whip up a rhyme and kick it, just, like, very minimal takes. I don't even think you did multiple takes. I think you was just in there initially writing. Yeah. Then you banged it out and came out. I'm like, yo, dude's a genius. Yeah, no, I wouldn't say genius, but I, I, I figured out that it didn't take much for me to write a rhyme. It, just, it was just really about once I decided what I was going to talk about, the rhyme for me pretty much wrote itself. I have a distinct, a distinct style of patterning that most people really don't pick up, but... Like the first line dictates everything for me. You know what I'm saying? So how I, you know, most people save their best for their closing lines. But for me, I feel like I have to come out the gates. You know what I'm saying? That's how you win a race. You come out the block strong. You know now, what I'm saying? As you crack your knuckles and get ready to get back out there on August 31st with this brand yeah. new album, um, different landscape. People used to buy records, hard copy, physical Absolutely. CDs. We're in a streaming universe now. Now, as a dude who's seen it come both ways... Which way do you prefer? And are you excited about, you know, because you're one of those few people who has, actually has the catalog that can sustain itself within the streaming world. Right, and right. It just dawned on me the other day. It's like, oh, that's probably why people drop so much music now because like where you're missing out in actual sales, it's the slow trickle effect of Absolutely. having so much crap out there that, you know, you eventually get it in some way. You, you just got to stay active, right? I tell everybody from my generation is like, look, don't worry about where you're going to land on the charts or anything like that. You just have to put music out. 
right? Just keep feeding the people music and they will eventually find it and, and take it in. Um, and yeah, it's definitely different not having like the, you know, mom and pop stores and, you know, cause Best Buy killed the mom and pop store mm-hmm. and now the internet is killing Best Buy. Hard. You know what I'm saying? So, and no, I don't necessarily have the kind of activity that some of these younger artists have because I'm not really doing what young people find amusing. You know what I'm saying? Young people like to see people their age doing things, getting away with things that they can't get away with. So it's a lot of the, you know, the the character or the personalities of people that sell their music more than their actual music does. Yeah. Some people do much better when they're just in a state of talking and living their life, you know what I'm saying, as opposed to when they're actually dropping music and releasing it. So for me, I'm not going to start acting out of my character and start doing things just to get attention because there's a lot of people that have, you know, been down with this movement since the beginning. And as my life progresses, their life has progressed. So I got to remember that, that, you know, the majority of my fan base are in the same place that I am and they're going through a lot of the stuff that I'm going through. You know, we're worried more about our children. Some of us are grandchildren. How our legacy is going to play out. What do we leave behind for the people that we love? Those kind of little things. That's what we really want to talk about. But then music, at the, you know, music at its, at its very least has to be entertaining. It still has to be fun Mm -hmm. and an enjoyable experience. But music done at its best can inform people, engage people, educate people, and inspire people. So we want to make sure that we have a good balance of of all of that. Now, how does a person like yourself, Ice Cube, even Public Enemy for that matter, find their core fans in 2018 when you don't have necessarily video shows? Right. You know, people of a certain age, they working all day, so they ain't on YouTube. They're not on the gram like that. Right. How do you get the information to those people? A lot of those people, if they are on social media at all, they're on Facebook. Mm-hmm. So okay. you've got to do a lot of Facebook interaction and, um, you know, doing things like this, coming and talking with people like you who are still on the airwaves. And again, it's not it's not the easiest thing anymore because yeah. it used to be just like, you know, this album comes out on this day, go to your record, local record store and get it. And somewhere within those first two or three weeks, people would go out and cop that album. Um, a lot of people from my generation, they still live in a world where they want a physical property. If they spend their money on something, they want something that they can touch, mm-hmm. that they can feel. So we are going to press up physical CDs, but we're not going to rely on them for the majority of sales as we used to. Now, does that mean we're going to lose some sales in there? Yeah, because people are not that are going to want to find a record aren't going to have the avenues that they're used to to finding records, and some people still aren't giving themselves over to buying music. But streaming works for everybody. Even if people don't buy a record on Google Play or iTunes, people still use Rhapsody. People still use Pandora. They use Spotify. They use Tidal. All these different outlets to hear the music. So you just got to make sure the music is available, and eventually they'll find it, they'll either buy it or stream it, but eventually it'll all add up and you'll get, you know, what you're supposed to get. Now, will I go platinum or whatever? Probably not. It's just not, you know, I don't have, you know, that big of a fan base that's out there in that digital world like that. But we're going to be appreciated. We're going to do some numbers and it'll get us back on the road. And, you know, like, you know, we don't have a crazy lifestyle, so I don't need a million records sales to make a million dollars. We can finesse that through merch, through touring and other different ways. We got sponsorships and things like that. So, now, you know, as long as you're out there and you're active and you're letting people see that you're not lazy and stuff like that, you can, you know, there's more ways to sell a record. I, when I first started, you had to literally sell a physical album 
to make money off of your music. But now people can buy the album. People can buy it digitally. People can stream it on a number of different formats. So instead of one place creating one source of revenue, now you have 8, 10, 12 different places that can bring you in revenue if you know how to work those places and let people know it's available there. See, I wish more guys like you can get on a circuit and let, you know, because there's a lot of people who've been in the game long as you, longer than you, that don't understand that process. They're, they're used to getting the bag different, right? Yeah. It, was a very, it was very easy and very well set up. You know, you sign your record deal, the record company would eat most of the costs that it takes to promote a record and all of that. So now, if you want to eat, you have to be a lot more active. You literally have to do everything yourself to a certain extent. Now, we're distributed by Empire, so Empire is going to do a good job of, you know, letting the young people know who would be interested in Bumby know that it's there and getting us in front of people. But at that point, you got to know how to sell yourself. And for older artists who maybe have allowed their record company or different representatives to sell their music for them, they're the ones that are going to be a little bit caught up right now. So it's just a matter of having always been active in the process. You know, even when I was on Jive and Rap A Lot, I would want to ask a lot of questions. We would want to know certain things. How does this get done? Who helps us with that? And now we're at the point where we know all this information. We have it at our disposal. So it's time for us to take advantage of it and use it to the best of our ability. So that's what I'm trying to do is lead by example. Work it, work it, man. The album is out on the 31st. August 31st. The return of the OG, the yeah. return of the trail. Everything's yeah. back. That's, Everything you love. Like, uh, like, who's the last rapper that made you go, oh, shit, when you heard him rap? That's a good question. Um, right now, probably Tobey. Uh, this kid out of um, out of Houston. Um, what what part of Houston? Um, I think he's Southwest. Okay. I think he's Southwest, possibly A-Leaf. But um, he's Nigerian, so he puts a lot of um, his African heritage into his music, and um, it separates him from everybody else. And then he's also like, um, he's extremely good with his words, so he doesn't really curse in his music. So he's in a different lane from everybody in his approach the way he does everything. It's really more of a, of a band or a group, I would say, because in everything that he does, like every video he does, his wife and his um, music partner are in the video and everything he does is very highly coordinated, very well thought out, mapped out. I just really love his approach to not just making music, but also the industry. He's worked very hard. Like I asked him to do some stuff with me and he's like, oh gee, your, your music too raw. Wow. Like it's not really, it's not really um, in line with my image and how I want to be seen in the world. And I thought that was very honorable of him to be honest about that, you know? Yeah. And, uh, Pull him up and, and check him out. And I don't want to do anything that messes up anybody's career. He's a great talent. I want to do music with him, but he knows what it is he's trying to do and how he wants to be seen, and that's just not the way he wants to be seen. Because I do make some, you know, all my music is not crazy like that. A lot of the music on this album is very inspirational. Things, but, man. You drop a lot but, of gems. But I do go hard, too. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I do go hard. You ain't got to be able to pull both bags out. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, I but he's, put, he's really good. And you ever done one of those 23 and Me things? No, no. Apparently, every black person is Nigerian. I'm Nigerian too. Our cameraman's Nigerian. Like, like everybody's Nigerian here. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's some lineage in there from Africa for sure. Obviously, I think that's <laughs> that's a given. But you like, know? everybody that I've talked to that have done 23 Me, like Gary with the T, is Nigerian. Apparently, right. Threw, it blew my mind, man. But we all team Niger then. I'm down with that. Got represent. <laughs> so cool. So before you go, uh, you know, uh, return to the trail. Yes. In stores August 31st. You yep. still teaching? Uh, yeah, but not this semester because we had to get the album out and do promo and all. Because school's already started. Yeah. So it was there was a conflict of interest because I don't like doing both at the same time, which is another part of why I didn't really record a lot because um, when you teach, you're speaking directly into young people's lives, mm -hmm. and I didn't want them to get mixed messages 
for me being there sometimes and then not being there. Gotcha. Like, like I've never, I've been asked to do Spring Fest every year since I started teaching at the university and I won't perform on campus because I don't want them to, to get the message confused that I'm, you know, I'm professor, but then I'm also Bumby. They know that, but I don't think that's something that I need to mix with the classroom. You know, I need them to see me in a certain space and a certain headspace continuously and consistently. So if they want to come out in the city and see me perform, that's cool. But most of my kids, they still call me prof. They're very respectful. Is it like Professor Bun B or? Yeah, it's prof. Prof Bun B. But it's Professor Freeman, though. No, don't, oh. Yeah, none of my students call me Bun B. Wow. Yeah. Like, nice. So no one turns in like a, a like a, an assignment with a thumb drive. They got like a demo on it. No, I told sure anybody with a demo could turn it in with their final exam. Okay, that's the reason to make us stick around. Yeah, so. Let's do smart from top to bottom. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this gentleman is Bun B. His album, Return of the Trill, is out August 31st, and I can't stress it enough. Pick up the physical copy when he's dropping. You're selling, like, merch and shirts, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Where did it go to get that? Um, anytime you see me at concert, and then you can go on, um, you can look at my Instagram bio. I usually have a link to stuff, but we're going to be bringing out a lot of merch to the first couple of concerts, especially the big one on August 30th. I got a big album release concert with all the local guys, some young up-and-coming talent, and some big names that I can't say until game day. Okay. But uh, we got some big names coming out to support us on this one. We're very proud and very excited that people even anticipated at the, you know, on this level. Yo, if rap was NBA, this brother is like one of them street ball legends who played in the majors, but wanted to take it back to the park and shoot your <laughs> lights out. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Bun B. Hey, crack after hours. We out, man. Thank Much you, love, hey, bro. Crack. Yo, major, major shout out to Bun B. Be sure you pick up that album, Return of the Trill, which is in stores right now. And if you want to see the video version of this podcast and other ones, be sure you follow me on YouTube. That's youtube.com forward slash head crack. I will be back at you sooner than later. Look at the archives. Catch up. Catch on the flip side. Head crack after hours.